It is uh, normally a hearty good morning. Let me, let's try that again. Good morning, Redeemer family. Good morning. morning. All right. That's awesome. Okay. I invite you to turn your Bibles to Colossians chapter 4. Colossians chapter 4. We'll be studying verses 3 and 4 this morning. I want to read to you verses 2, 3, and 4. So the Apostle Paul tells the church at Colossae and the Holy Spirit teaches Redeemer Church of Oxford. Continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. At the same time, pray also for us that God may open to us a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ on account of which I am in prison, that I may make it clear, which is how I ought to speak. I have so much to do that I shall spend the first three hours in prayer. Those are the words of Martin Luther nearly 500 years ago. Of course, Luther is the man whom God used to reshape the landscape of Christianity This is a man who taught theology in the classroom, taught the scriptures in the church, wrote book after book after book on the gospel, lectured on justification by faith alone from town to town, stood toe-to-toe with the empirical leaders of the Roman Catholic Church for years, who those people have wanted him dead. Martin Luther was a busy, busy ambassador of the gospel, and yet he said, I have so much to do that I shall spend the first three hours in prayer. Luther understood something that you and I must understand if we're going to be effective ambassadors for Jesus Christ, and that is we have two things, the Word of God and prayer. Without the Word, we have nothing to say. Without the Word, we have nothing to represent. And without prayer, we have no power to say it and no confidence to believe that anything that we're going to do is going to affect change. And so in the moments that we have together right now, I want us to understand the indispensable role of intercessory prayer and the gospel mission. I want us to understand the indispensable role of intercessory prayer and the gospel mission. I want us to understand and embrace this one reality. God saves lost people when saved people fervently pray for lost people to be saved. God saves lost people when saved people fervently pray for lost people to be saved. I believe that's why Andrew Murray has said this, the man who mobilizes the Christian church to pray will make the greatest contribution to world evangelism in history. He also said we must begin to believe that God in the mystery of prayer has entrusted us with a force that can move the heavenly world and can bring heaven down to earth. Prayer does that. 
And so if you look up at verse 2, what we studied last week, we can remember that in this passage we saw the meaning of prayer, the method of prayer, and the motive of prayer. You guys remember that. And in the, the meaning of prayer, we defined it just as Phil reiterated it during our singing time, and that is prayer is the expression of our dependence on God and our love for God. And we, we commonly express our affection for God and our dependence on God through adoration, confession, thanksgiving, and supplication. And we went into detail about that last week. And then we looked at the method of prayer. If you look down at verse 2, we saw that it involves passionate perseverance. He says, continue steadfastly, which means have a lifestyle of passionate prayer to God, dependence on Him, and love for Him as you express those things to Him. And then he says, it has to be spiritually alert. You have to be aware of the needs and the dangers around you and be praying about those needs and praying about those dangers. And then he says there's got to be profound gratitude in it all because of the gospel that has worked powerfully in you. And so now what I want us to do is I want us to zero in on verses 3 and 4 right here. And I want you to see the role of intercessory prayer in the gospel mission. And I first just want you to see the request for intercession. The request for intercession. He simply says to the church at Colossae, he says at the same time, Pray for us. At the same time, pray for us. Man, we see Paul feels the need for intercession. He says, listen, pray for us. Pray for me. Pray for Timothy. Pray for all my co-laborers in the gospel. You can see his co-laborers if you read on in chapter 4, verses 7, 8, 9, 10, etc. Now, I do want you to know that in verses 3 and 4, he transitions from the first person plural, us, to the first person singular, me and I, in verse 4, which tells me he's likely thinking about his personal need to represent the gospel and his personal need to preach the gospel. But he feels the need for intercession. Now last week, we said that intercession is simply this, praying on behalf of other people. Praying on behalf of other people. And y'all, I just want us to understand how important it is for us to pray for one another. How important it is for us to go to God in persevering, passionate prayer. How important it is for us to go to the Lord on behalf of one another in spiritually alert prayer with gratitude. And so if you would just look back at chapter 1, verse 3. Notice, what I want us to see is the prominent place of intercession in the life of Paul and how he wants to impress it on every Christian in the church. So chapter 1, verse 3, he says, We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you. Since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and the love that you have for all the saints. We'll just make the point that, that Paul is always thanking God for the church at Colossae and praying for them. There is a regularity to his prayer for the church at Colossae, even though he doesn't even know them personally. Now look down at verse 9 of chapter 1. And he says, And so, 
From the day we heard, that is the day we heard of your faith and your love for all the saints and the fruit that the gospel is bearing in your lives. From the day that we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you. Asking that God, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. So as to walk, so as to live in a manner worthy of the Lord. Paul says, since we heard of your faith, since we heard of the fruit, we've not ceased praying for you, church. We've prayed for you every day. We've prayed for you regularly. We've prayed for you fervently. We've prayed for you passionately because we want to see God do wonderful and awesome things through you. And so we've not ceased to pray for you. Look over at chapter 2. Chapter 2, verse 1, he says, church, I want you to know how great a struggle I have for you. And for those that lay to see you, and for all who've not seen me face to face. Now, the struggle is a struggle in prayer. It's an agonizing in prayer for the church at Colossae. I want you to know what great a struggle I have for you. Look at verse 2. That their hearts may be encouraged being knit together in love to reach all the riches of full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery. Now we're reading this passage right here for two reasons. I want you to see his passionate prayer for them, but I also want you to see what he calls the mystery. Look there, he says, the knowledge of God's mystery, which is what? Christ. Now that's important because we're about to read about what the mystery is in a moment. In whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Paul and the church at Colossae did not have a close, close friendship based on years and years of activity and fellowship together with each other in love. Paul had not even preached in that church. Paul was not a member of that church. But because of the gospel, he felt a partnership. Because of the gospel, he felt a communion with them in such a way that he did not cease to agonize for them in prayer. Folks, that that is the feeling of gospel partnership that, that compels a person to agonize in intercession for them. Finally, I want you to look at chapter 4, verse 12. Chapter 4, verse 12, as he's closing the letter, he speaks about Epaphras, who is a member of the Colossian church, who is present with Paul. And he says, Epaphras, who is one of you, a servant of Christ Jesus, greets you, always struggling, agonizing on your behalf in his prayers, that you may stand mature, and fully assured in all the will of God. Epaphras was hundreds of miles away from his church body, hundreds of miles away from his own family, hundreds of miles away from the communion of the saints that he had known, and every day that he was apart from them, he agonized for their good and for God's glory to be manifest in the church at Colossae. Folks, this this just shows us the need for intercessory prayer. And so I want to ask you today, number one, how often do you pray for the people in this church? With what passion do you pray for the people in this church? 
With what regularity do you pray for the people in this church? And with what degree of spiritual alertness do you pray for the people in this church? There are needs all around us and there are dangers among us. How alert are you in your intercessory prayer for the church of Jesus Christ? Notice in verse 2, I'm sorry, in verse 3, he uses the phrase, at the same time. That is interesting. At the same time. I believe that what he's saying is that at the same time that you have a persevering, passionate prayer life, at the same time that you are spiritually alert in your prayers, at the same time that you are giving thanks to God because of the gospel, would you please pray for us? In those moments where you're spiritually alert, in those moments where you're passionate about the gospel, pray for us that those passionate, alert prayers would be effective for our gospel ministry. And folks, under under this heading, the request for intercession, I I want us to just, just reflect. I know we all can, can reflect on the blessing of intercession. I mean, have you ever known when other people were praying for you? That they were laboring on your behalf. What is it like knowing that people are laboring on your behalf in prayer? Mark, what's it like for you when you know people are praying for you? Absolutely. It does. Joey, what would you say the same thing? It does. It gives you courage. Now, it, it comforts Mark and it gives Joey courage. Yes, because... They both know that people are loving them and have affection for them because they're praying. But that's not the primary reason they feel comforted, and it's not the primary reason they feel courage. The primary reason they feel courage and comfort is because they know that they are appealing to the sovereign, omnipotent God on their behalf. So whatever it is that they're dealing with, whatever struggle they're having, whatever obstacle there is or opportunity there may be, they know that the infinitely sovereign God is hearing those prayers and is pleased to answer them according to His will. And so the blessing of intercession is that we're encouraged, that we're comforted, and that we have increased spiritual power. All right, let's look now at the remainder of the text where we see the substance of intercession. The substance of intercession. And so you see the request for intercession, pray for us. Pray for us. Now, Paul says, this is exactly what I want you to pray for us. This is the substance of your prayers. The first part of the substance, the first aspect that he wants to pray for is a gospel opportunity. A gospel opportunity. Notice that he says, Pray that God may open to us a door for the word. In other words, he's saying, we need opportunities to give the gospel to people who need it. We need those opportunities. So would you please, church, pray that we'll get those opportunities. I love the the metaphor of an open door. An open door. An open door simply is an opportunity for the gospel. That's what it is. An open door is used as a metaphor for an opportunity for the gospel many, many times in the New Testament. 
In Acts 14, Paul is giving an account of his gospel ministry to the church in Antioch. He's basically giving a missionary report. You guys ever been in a church service where missionaries get up and they give you a report of their ministry? That's what Paul is doing. And he says in Acts 14, he says, God opened a door of faith to the Gentiles. The door had previously seemingly been closed, but now he's opened that door and we've walked through it and Gentiles are being saved. In 1 Corinthians 16, he tells the church, he says, I'll stay in Ephesus until Pentecost because a wide open door has been given to me for gospel ministry. Now listen to this. When he tells the church, when he tells the church in Corinth, a wide open door has been given to me for the gospel. You know what he says right after that? He says, and there are many adversaries. I just want to make just a quick point. Just because people are opposing the gospel, just because establishments are hostile toward the gospel, just because the government might outlaw gospel ministry in some way, it doesn't mean there's not an open door. God is the one who opens doors. God is the one who provides opportunities. No matter what people, no matter what governments, no matter what organizations may do in order to stop it, Paul recognized there was an opportunity for the word. Now, I think it's important for us to just observe that he wants an opportunity for the word. The word. The word is the gospel. It is the gospel truth. In chapter 1, verse 5 and 6, he calls the word of truth the gospel. Folks, I've said it before and I'll say it again. When we think about the word, when we think about the logos, the Greek word logos, we need to be thinking about the fullness of the gospel because they are synonymous. When he says, I need a door for the word, he's saying, I need a door for the gospel and the fullness of it. It's important that we understand that Paul is not looking for an open door and an opportunity for systems or religion or programs or anything of the nature. He's looking for an opportunity to declare the message of salvation in Jesus Christ. In the summer of 2013, I was running stadiums over at Oxford High School. If you don't know what running stadiums are, you simply just run up uh, and down the stadium steps, the stadium seats. And, and so as I was running, and it was hot, I remember I was sweating, and I was trying to pray at the same time, which is kind of a tough combination to, to do, by the way. Um, I was looking at the beautiful campus that, that is Oxford High School, and I had been substitute teaching at Oxford, and and I found my substitute teaching to be somewhat enjoyable but constricting because I wasn't seemingly having the opportunities for the gospel. And so as I was running up the stadium and then walking kind of down and looking over at the church, have you ever just had moments in your life where God just pierces your heart? I looked at that campus and my heart began to break. Because my mind was flooded with the lostness that I had seen in the classrooms as I was substitute teaching. And I prayed, God, would you give me a better opportunity for the gospel than what I've been previously having? 
Church, I want you to know that it was not too many days after that that the director of FCA in Birmingham communicated with me, and I communicated with him. And it was not but just a couple of months after that that we start doing gospel evangelism and Bible study with the men's basketball team and the ladies' basketball team and the ladies' softball team and the men's baseball team and the men's football team. And it wasn't too long after that where we had regular ministry. And as few as five weeks ago, I sat in a coach's office where a young man walked into that office and sat down and I used the whiteboard and gave the gospel to a struggling, confused, discouraged young man. And he had the opportunity to trust in Christ. Glory to God. Yeah. That's what we call God providing an open door yeah. for the word. Yeah. Praise his name. Yeah. Well, the first thing we need to do in gospel advancing prayer is to plead with God for open doors for ministry, because God is the one who prepares the way, He provides the opportunity, and He plows the soil of human hearts. Um, I think we need to observe about Paul before we move on is that Paul preached the gospel to Jews in the synagogues, he preached the gospel to philosophers at Mars Hill, he preached the gospel to retailers in the marketplace. He preached the gospel to sailors on ships, to natives on islands, to fellow prisoners in the jail, and to prison guards when he was under house arrest. Wherever Paul went, he preached the gospel to those people as he sought for an open door for the word. And folks, I just want to say that there are a lot more open doors for the gospel than you and I realize. And so I think it would, it, would, it would be good for you and I to identify the open doors for the word in our lives. Ron, I, I don't want to pick on you, but I do know that in your life you've identified some open doors and you routinely go back to those doors to see if they're still open for the gospel. Those are relationships, people whom you've worked with, people who you've been side by side with. And even though you're no longer beside them and no longer you see them every day, you go back to their their place of business or their home in order to check on them just to see if there's an open gospel opportunity in those lives. That is persistence in looking for open doors for the gospel. Those are the kinds of things that we need to be doing as a church. And so we need to ask the question, are we praying for open doors and are we walking through those doors? And that leads us really to the second part of the substance of this intercession. He says, not only pray for a gospel opportunity, but pray for gospel declaration. Pray for gospel declaration. He says, pray that I will declare the mystery of Christ on account of which I am in prison. In other words, I need to declare the glories of the gospel when I get these opportunities. Notice that it's a declaration, it's an announcement, it's a proclamation. He says, listen, I'm not about presenting ideas or philosophizing about possibilities. I need to declare the objective truth of the gospel, that you can be saved from your sins by the person and work of Jesus. 
that he lived a perfect life on your account, that he died a substitutionary death in your place, that he rose from the dead to defeat hell and death and sin, and that if you put your trust in this resurrected Savior, you can have eternal life. And if you don't, you will pay for your sins forever in hell. So will you repent and believe and trust in the Savior who has bled and died for you? That, that's the message that he wanted to preach and he wanted to make it clear and he wanted, he wanted to declare it boldly. And that's the mystery that he says that he needs to declare. Folks, if you read through the Bible and if you specifically read through the New Testament epistles, we need to make an observation that the content of Christians' prayers in the New Testament is primarily about the advancement of the gospel and the eternal purposes of God himself. It is primarily about the advancement of the gospel and the eternal purposes of God himself. Does that mean that we should not pray regarding our health concerns, our job problems, our family issues? our neighbor's sister. No, that doesn't dare mean that. But what it does mean is if we have the heartbeat of God and if God's heart is primary in our heart, then we will be full of gospel prayers. We will be full of gospel advancing intercession for people who are seeking to bring eternal life to those who are in desperate need of it. Phil and I on Monday thought about so many of the folks in our church who are seeking to make a gospel impact in our community. I'll just list you some that we need to be praying for all of the time. We thought about the Holdens at their mobile home park. There are Countless families, I guess you could count them, I just didn't know them. Um, There are many families at their mobile home park whom they are seeking to bring reconciliation to God with through the gospel. We need to be praying for the Holdens regularly. We need to be praying for opportunities and that they will declare the mystery of the gospel in clarity. Thought about Robbie Joplin at Anniston Army Depot. He serves as a chaplain there. It was just a week ago or two weeks ago that a civilian who worked at the Anniston Army Depot was killed over in the Middle East. And he had the opportunity to minister to the family and to bring the hope of the gospel. We need to be praying for Robbie and his ministry. We thought about Mike and Leah and their ongoing ministry to families and to children and to uh, those whom they uh, are in contact with. Elizabeth Brown in Papua New Guinea. Of course, we thought about Isaiah and Elise on the mountain trip, on the mountaintop trip, Phil at UPS every morning, the Kemp family in South Africa. Folks, we, we, we went on and on. There, there, are, there are, we have 30 families in this church, and the majority of families in this church are trying to bring the gospel to the people in their realm of influence, and we need to be praying for them to declare the mystery of the gospel, the mystery of the gospel. So that's gospel declaration. And then the other subs, part of the substance of this prayer is gospel clarity. Gospel clarity. He says, 
not only pray that I will declare the gospel, but pray that I will make it clear, which is how I ought to speak. In other words, I need to be very clear in my gospel declaration so people can hear and believe. This idea of clarity means to make plain, to make evident. Paul means opening up the gospel, setting it forth plainly so that it will really register and make sense to the hearers. It includes simplifying the message, relating it in a relevant way, being unequivocal about its meaning, but showing all of his hearers exactly how they need the gospel and how if they don't trust in the gospel, they'll have to pay for their sins themselves. Paul was concerned about getting the gospel right in his preaching, and he wanted Christians to pray that his preaching would be clear. Now, folks, if you're taking notes, I want to give you three ways in which you can know that your gospel declaration is clear. This will be very quickly here. First of all, you need to have a robust explanation of the person and work of Jesus. You need to have a robust explanation about the person and work of Jesus. When you declare the gospel, you need to talk a lot about Jesus. You need to talk about how perfect he is, how loving he is, how he is the substitute for sinners, how he died a sacrificial death, how he rose from the dead, defeating death and hell and sin, and that he ascended into heaven, and that one day he's going to return, and he's going to reign as King of kings and Lord of lords, and everyone who's believed in him will live, and everyone who has disbelieved in him will experience eternal death and so you need to have a robust explanation of jesus the second thing you need to have is you need to present the necessity of trusting in him the necessity of trusting in him and distrusting in everything else we, we have become so pluralistic in our society that many people believe that they can believe the gospel, and also believe the teachings of, of uh, Gandhi. They can believe the gospel, but they can also trust in a little bit of works righteousness. No, you need to clearly present the necessity of trusting in Jesus and Jesus alone. And then the third thing is, is you need to call people to follow Jesus as his disciple. Call people to follow Jesus as his disciple. Folks, we have said that you are evangelizing every time you correct a person's view about God and the gospel. You're evangelizing when you do that. So, so Ron, when you speak to your neighbor and he has an erroneous view about the person of God and you correct that in a statement or, or two, you are doing the work of evangelism because you're, you're putting one more plank on the bridge that is hopefully going to get him over to gospel belief, right? However, if you're giving the full gospel and declaring it with power and with, and with, uh, with clarity, then it's got to include a robust explanation of Jesus Christ, the necessity of trusting in him, and calling that person to believe. If you, if you read the book of Acts, you'll see Peter and Paul and the other preachers, they declare the truth, but then they also say, you must repent and believe. Okay, 
So the essence of this request is pray that God will give us an opportunity to declare the gospel. And when he does, pray that we will declare it boldly and clearly so that people can understand it, feel its truth, and put their faith in Jesus. I'd like for you to, to just kind of bow your head and your heart right now as we have a reflection of prayer, as we consider how to pray for God to expand His gospel mission in our culture. If you don't mind, close your eyes. Because I want to ask you to ask yourself one important question. Ask yourself this question. What am I really doing in prayer that advances the gospel? What am I really doing in prayer that advances the gospel? With a spirit of prayer right now, would you allow God to investigate your heart and your prayer life? Brothers and sisters, I want to call you to be done with hazy generalities like, Lord, bless all the missionaries. Lord, bless Amanda and her missionary work. Amen. I want to call you to be done with trivialities like that. And I want to call you to pray about specific details. I want to call you to pray for open doors for freedom to witness. Pray for clarity of speech. Pray for boldness to declare the mystery of Christ. Pray for strength to face unbelievers. Pray for protection from enemies of the gospel. Pray robust gospel prayers that God may do a work of salvation in our midst. Folks, you prayed for my ministry for, with FCA this week. Wednesday night, you prayed for me and for my ministry and 48 young men prayed to receive Jesus Christ and to follow Him for the rest of their lives in obedience to Him. 48! It is not a coincidence that you were praying and that God saved 48 people. What are you doing in prayer to advance the gospel mission? What more can we be doing that we might see a harvest full of souls?